You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. I want to talk about keys to a breakthrough. And, um, and for those of you in the morning session, you are here. Thank you for being here. I do have a message. It's a core message. It's... Um, I have several core messages, and this is one of the core messages in my life. Uh, Trinity Christian Center years ago was given a prophetic word by Reverend Steve Penny from Australia. And he was passing by. At that time, we have have two evening services, one uh, one in the afternoon and one at five. And uh, when he asked to come and minister for us at the the 2.30 and a 5 o'clock service, I didn't attend the church that day. We, said, we basically said to him, yes, you can come and minister. And, um, you know, I wasn't there for the service. And he was a man of God, a prophet of God that came and gave a very strong prophetic word into the life of the church. He mentioned something about breakthrough church, that this will become a breakthrough church. And everyone who comes to the church will experience a breakthrough anointing. When they return back to their countries, or back to their homes, they will experience a breakthrough. And he talks about how the breakthrough anointing will rest heavily upon the church. I, I heard about the prophecy. I came back to church the, uh, on Monday to listen to the recording. Um, by then, Steve has flown back home to Australia. And uh, as I listened to the word, there was just a presence of God. And an invasion of the Holy Spirit came into my life. And from that moment forth, uh, there was, we saw signs of breakthroughs that has happened in Trinity. And up to this day, we have seen that it continues to grow at a stronger unction. And so this, this evening, I want to bring to you a word uh, that has impacted me, a word that I've experienced uh, as I've seen the breakthroughs of God worked out for me and I believe that the same principles of the Word of God is going to be here for you. Can someone say amen? amen. So let's very quickly turn to Second Chronicles chapter 20 and uh, I'm just going to remove my jacket first. Thanks Luke. Um, Second Chronicles chapter 20 tells us of the story of this king called Jehoshaphat. But I'm not able to start from 2 Chronicles 20 because I need to give you a backdrop to this whole story. The story actually begins somewhere back in a couple of chapters back. And King Jehoshaphat, and you need to understand, King Jehoshaphat was the king of the southern kingdom. After King Solomon passed on, his sons took the kingdom and basically the two sons divided the kingdom into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is called Israel. The southern kingdom is called Judah. And if you read about the stories of the kings, you will discover that the kings of the northern kingdom, Israel, are primarily 99.9% bad kings. They are bad because they brought the nation into disarray. They brought the nation into a place where they experienced moral degradation. Whereas the southern kingdom, which is called Judah, had 
99.9% of the kings that are good kings. And so King Jehoshaphat happens to be one of the good kings. The problem with King Jehoshaphat is that he aligned himself as he grew stronger, as the Lord blessed him. And this is the problem with many of us. As the Lord blessed us, sometimes we forget about the goodness of God. And because of that, King Jehoshaphat decided to align himself with a bad king called King Ahab. How many of you have heard of this king called King Ahab? Well, some of you. Well, for those of you that didn't raise your hands, um, you know, you may, you, you may not have raised it because you said you don't know or you may not have raised it because you say, I don't know, I don't care. Doesn't matter. I'll tell you anyway. Uh, if you read 1 Kings chapter 17, you will read of this king called King Ahab and he basically married this queen called Jezebel. And as a result, the nation went down morally, spiritually. And that's where we read of the story of Elijah confronting King Ahab. So, so here you have a good king who has been blessed by God. He's growing financially and he's growing in influence powerful influence. However, he decided to align himself with King Ahab through marriage. And so, because of the compromise, King Ahab then brought him into battle to fight the enemies of Israel. As a result of that battle, could you imagine, King Ahab passed on because he was killed in battle. So, Jehoshaphat who has a business partner, now loses his business partner. For those of you that are in business, when you lose a, a very important business partner, you are going to be in deep yogurt. You understand what I mean? Because that's your business partner. And so right now, he's in a situation where his business partner has passed on, but by the grace of God, everybody says grace. See, God's grace is upon us. And sometimes when we make dumb mistakes, dumb decisions, God's grace is still there to undergird us and to turn things around. And so God turned things around for Joseph. For Jehoshaphat. Even though his partner died, um, they should have lost the, the war. But however, God saved Jehoshaphat. So he was actually saved. Now, we come to chapter 20, and now we, re we pick up the story. And after this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, with some of the Manunites. <laughs> See, I, I, I knew, you know, should never be Man United uh, supporters. You know, Christians don't support the devil. So, you know, we're here to, we are here to... <laughs> <clears throat> They came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Now, so this is payback time. This is payback time because he aligned himself with King Ahab at that point in time. So now three armies, literally three ginormous, huge army has come together to make war on Jehoshaphat. And so, therefore, my title tonight is Keys to a Breakthrough When the Enemy Comes in Like a Flood. How many of you understand that when your problems and your challenges come, they don't come singularly? They, this almost comes in like a flood. Remember, when trouble comes, they really come. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? Yeah. The Bible says when the enemy comes in like a flood, God raises up a banner. And so here tonight, we're going to see how God raises a banner 
to provide victory and breakthrough for Jehoshaphat. And through that, we're going to learn those principles for ourselves so that we too can experience breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough. Because I believe tonight some of you are closer to your dream than ever before. I believe some of you are closer to a victory than you have ever had in the past. Some of you, you are just inches away, moments away from a personal breakthrough, from that which God wants to bless you. You are so close to it. However, I want you to know as you are coming so close to it, breakthrough normally has a sign and a symptom. And the signs and the symptoms before a great breakthrough, it's always a great spiritual warfare. Yeah. Let me illustrate it this way. Our sister has a child upon her lap. I believe this is your kid. Yeah. <laughs> you carried her for nine months, didn't you? Oh, yes. And that's obvious, isn't it? At the end of nine months, when she decides to come forth, that was your greatest battle. Because pushing her forth out from the birth canal created a lot of pain. The shifting of her bones and, you know, and then waiting for the dilation and then the tearing. I mean, you guys, we don't, have, we don't understand the concept. You know, thank God. But we don't understand the concept. But that push is the... It, the child is the breakthrough. But just before the child can come forth from the birth canal is great pain. And one of the signs before a great breakthrough, it's always the signs of some of the greatest challenges that you're going to face. That's why some of you in this room are facing some of your greatest challenges even right now as I'm speaking. And so get ready. Get ready because you are candidate of the greatest breakthrough that's about to happen in your life. We read on, and I don't have time. Folks, can I, can I give you homework assignment? Go back and read this homework. By the, by the way, what time do I quit here? Quarter past seven. Okay. All right. So I have 30 minutes. All right. So in that case, can you make sure you go back and read this whole chapter? We're not going to read everything. So let me just jump to a few verses. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you. I like this word. I like the fact that the Bible does not remove away some of the description of life. And so here we read of a vast army, and really the word is the, the, the word in English is extremely weak, vast, because in the Hebrew language, it tells us that it is a huge, it is a, I mean, it's a, I mean, it's a ginormous, it's just a humongous army that's coming upon them. And the Bible tells us that when, uh, in verse 3, alarm, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. And so here we see the, the raw human emotions of coming under stress. He was so stressed out, but he was literally overwhelmed to the place where he could not do anything. And so Jehoshaphat decided to call for a fast for all Judah. And the Bible tells us the people from Judah came together to seek help. And immediately from every town they came. And then verse 5, Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah. And then in verse 6, we read of how he prayed this prayer. Now, I want, to, I want you to understand that when he prayed this prayer, 
it was a very special prayer that gives us the first key to a breakthrough. The first key to a breakthrough is declaration. It is a declaration of who God is. Uh, just follow with me as we see His declaration. Oh Lord, God of our Father, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nation. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Friends, I want you to understand that when you are going through a crisis and you need to see a breakthrough, the first key to a breakthrough, the first key to a supernatural move of God is to learn to declare who God is. He began to declare that power and might is in your hand. He declared that God is almighty. That's basically what it is. You see, a lot of times when we are looking for a breakthrough, we go into intercessory prayer. Now, first of all, listen here. I am not against prayer. Okay, I know you guys are having a, a prayer meeting on July the 5th, so come for the meeting. But my prayer, my prayer is that your prayer meeting will not just be a prayer but your prayer meeting will take on a different form because I believe that there is time right now for the church to go into declarative prayer. It is not coming into the presence of God and saying, Oh me, oh my, oh Lord, help me. No, no. If you look at the prayer, it was a declaration of the might of God. It was a declaration of the fact that God is almighty. It is a declaration of God who is our deliverer. If you continue to look at the prayer that uh, Jehoshaphat prayed. Did you not drive out the inhabitants and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham? And then he continues to, to, in his declarative prayer, declaring who God is. Now, let me explain to you why declaration is so important. When you are able to declare who God is, something happens on the inside of you. What is that? Faith is ignited. But when you come into God's presence and you say, oh Lord, help me, please help. You know, that kind of prayer posture does not build faith. That kind of prayer posture is a posture of defeat. As believers, we need to understand when Jesus died on the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. So it is done. It is not a battle between God and Satan anymore. There is, I mean, if God and Satan is equal power, that's what we call dualism, then God is rubbish. The fact of the matter is God has finished it. The devil's been defeated. Yeah, that's why I like the song, I raise a hallelujah. Because the devil and hell has been defeated. It is up to us today to proclaim it and to declare it because the moment you can declare, faith is ignited. Are you hearing what I'm saying? How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing. Which means you have to declare aloud so that you can hear. And when you declare aloud who God is, you are hearing who God is. And when you hear who God is, faith is ignited. Secondly, declaration, declaration not only builds faith, but declaration builds hope. The word alarm in Hebrew suggests hopelessness. At that point when he heard about the three huge army that was coming against him, there was a sense of helplessness and hopelessness. 
And so, but when he came into the presence of God, he did not come with a sense of helplessness and hopelessness. He came and he began to declare who God is because you see, friends, when faith is ignited, hope rises. And when hope rises, it repels fear. But when we don't declare who God is, then fear takes a root of our lives. So in order to, de- to repel Fear out of our life. See, friends, fear is the killer cousin of faith. And so we just need to declare who God is. And as soon as we do that, friends, I want you to know, something begins to happen on the inside of me. There was a time that I, there was a time in 1990s, in the 90s, I used to go to India. Anybody from India here? All right, hallelujah. I used to call India my country. While I'm a Singaporean, I love India. I would go to India and live there for months. And I was in India. So I remember one time I went to, to Chennai, um, Madras then, is today called Chennai. And I go to this church and we used to have big crusades by the beach. Now, the problem is that every time I go to India, my daughter at that point in time who was just a baby, just like that child there, Every time I go to India, she will be sent into the hospital. Every time, without fail. And there was this time, I was ministering at the, there was this big crusade and there were easily 25,000 people at the beach. And during the worship time, during the worship time, somebody ran all the way, they, they, they ran all the way up on stage and said, Pastor Dom, Pastor Dom, there's an urgent phone call for you. And I says, all right, um, who called me? He says, your wife. And so I, I left the meeting while the song service was going on. I left the meeting, went into the vehicle and went straight to the, the, where the phone was in one of the pastor's home. I picked up the line and I said, hi, dear. And immediately I hear my wife who is hundreds and thousands of miles away from me and she's crying on the phone. And now Chinin is crying and saying that Natalie is in hospital. Now, the thing for me is that I'm so used to it. I'm so used to the fact that there will always be collateral damages in, a, in, in war. You see, I, I, I'm from the Singapore Air Force. I understand things about war. When you go to war, there will always be damages. So I said to my wife, all right, I, I know she, she's, she's not well. She's in the hospital again. See, it's a symptom. Every time I go to India, she goes to the hospital. Every time I go to, the, to India, she's in the hospital. So I said to my wife, all right, um, remain cool. We're going to pray. And then my wife started crying louder over the phone. And, you know, so I, I paused for a moment and I decided to stop speaking. And I said to her, now tell me what has happened. And now she's telling me tubes. Yeah, there are many tubes that are right now inserted in her body and blood is gushing out through the tubes. So I knew this was serious because the way my wife was describing it and crying, and and so I was then devastated. At that point in time, see, can you imagine, I'm in a crusade meeting as the evangelist about to get up and then I'm now, I, I tell the pastor to keep the song service going. In those days, we don't have handphone. I'm right now in his home Listening to this, 
can you imagine my faith level that was so high for a miracle crusade meeting? In this home, it has now plunged all the way down below ground zero. And hearing, my, hearing that blood is now coming out from the different tubes in her body, I said to my wife, all right, I'm going to take the next flight home. Just hang in there. I prayed with my wife, put down the phone, jumped into the vehicle, went back to the meeting, basically to tell my Singapore team, there were 35 um, of us that were there, and I was there to tell the, the, the pastor of the church, David Mohan, that I said, David, I'm not able to minister tonight. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I have to take the next flight. And that was actually a next flight back within uh, a couple of hours. And at the instant, at the instant, one of the pastoral staff heard this conversation. She began to, she walked out, interrupted the song service, picked up the mic, and then she said to the, I mean, this, this is at the beach, 25,000 people. Lots of non-Christians that were there. And she picks the mic up and she says, Pastor Dominic's daughter is in hospital and we need to right now pray for her. And she took the mic and she started declaring, God, you are the Father. God, you are the healer. God, you are the physician. As she began to declare, and the Christians that were, in, that were present there, there began to raise their voice. And I, I tell you something, when the Indians start praying, God starts listening. <laughs> and with the whole declaration that was happening, um, it was a declarative prayer. And I was there listening. And the more I listened, I participated with the declaration. And the more I started declaring, something began to stir in my heart. I turned to David Mohana and says, I'm not leaving till this crusade is over. And that night, we saw some of the greatest miracles uh, that, that has been recorded in David Mohan's church and his crusade meetings. I mean, we had the biggest number of salvation that night in that one single night. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I want you guys to understand that when an enemy hits us like a flood, it is because you are almost at the point of your greatest miracle. So don't give us, start learning to declare who God is. Start declaring He's powerful, He's almighty. Start declaring that He's the deliverer. Start declaring that He's your provider. And things will begin to happen in your life. Can someone say amen? amen. Number two, let's look, let's look at verse uh, 12. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Woo! I like that verse. How many of you like that verse? I don't know what to do, but my eyes are upon you. I'm fixing my eyes upon you. How many of you this morning were there when you heard me talk about fixing your eyes upon Jesus? And the scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 2, fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Now, I did not go on to describe to you what fix means. To fix your eyes, firstly, means to fasten, to fasten, to hold on to, so that you will not let distraction pull you away. Secondly, to fix your eyes means to take your focus off and to put your focus upon. Finally, the word fix in Hebrew suggests that when your sight is bad, 
you need to correct your vision. That's what it means. You see, a lot of us need corrective surgery of our spiritual eyes. We somehow has allowed spiritual cataract to come into our, into our lives. So much so that when problems come, when a doctor tells you, you have a big C, you know, and, and proclaim, and his prognosis is cancer. Our eyes begins to focus on a cancer. And as a result, our, correction, our eyes needs correction. And so to fix your eyes has to do with correcting it. Now, this morning, I illustrated something and a number of you weren't there. So let me very quickly give you an illustration, very quickly. I went to the gym one day. I have, I've never gone to the gym in my entire life. The only thing I know about gym is barbells, dumbbells. And so we do all this stuff because I used to play football for Singapore under 16 and under 21. So I understand those concepts. But in those days, we don't run on treadmill. I find folks running on treadmill kind of silly. They look like Harry the Hamster on a treadmill of life. And so I don't do treadmill. But because uh, my wife started exercising and, and I told you guys in the morning that I almost died um, going walking with her. Walking, you can imagine. She's walking. Uh, and, and so I decided to go to a, to a gym in one of my travel. And when I went to the gym, I was looking for a treadmill. And I didn't want a treadmill in the middle. I wanted a treadmill on the side because I've never gone on a treadmill. And I don't know what to do when I'm on a treadmill. I mean, you look at all the, the, the buttons there. You don't know what to do. But unfortunately, there was only one treadmill in the middle that was, that was vacant. But the problem here was that there was a woman on the side that was running extremely fast. And then on the other side of the other empty treadmill was a fat man, the biggest, the biggest fat guy I've ever seen. And he's running on a treadmill. I didn't know what to do as I stepped on the treadmill and I was, I was punching a couple of buttons, nothing moved. And then I, I kept looking at those two persons and they were running really fast. And so I hit the first number one. I, I decided maybe try number one. I hit number one and it started moving but it was really slow. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, like, it's like taking a stroll. So, but because of this woman and because of this fat guy, I decided to hit number 15 since he started moving. Hit number 15. I never knew that 15 was really fast because before I knew it, I was, <laughs> I was being dragged to the back. So I started running and I was looking at this woman, looking at this fat guy and I, in my mind, it's like, would you guys, we're going to see who lasts, who outlasts, you see, outlasts, our fight, our fought. And so we are running on this and I'm waiting for them to stop. But then in my mind, I'm like, woman, stop. Fat guy, stop. But none of them stop, and we continue running. And here, we're running on this treadmill of life, and I'm looking at them all the time. And because of that, my heart was about to give way. I thought I ran for 20 minutes when I ran for only two minutes. <laughs> but the Bible teaches us this morning, my reference in, in 1 Samuel chapter 18, that Saul had a jealous eye because he looked at David. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 30, Simon Peter did not keep his eyes on Jesus. He kept his eyes on the wind, on the problems of life. And so friends, I like this verse. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Friends, listen, when you, could, when you, when you are able to fasten your eyes upon God, even though you may have little faith, the Bible says Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He who begins the faith in you will bring it to completion because the perfecter of the faith or the finisher of your faith, depending on your translation, it means this. 
It means this in Greek. Where your faith is lacking, God adds to your faith. The other word is completer. He completes your faith. Friends, listen, when an enemy comes in like a flood and you want a key to a breakthrough, listen, keep your eyes on God. Because when you keep your eyes on Him, He comes and He perfects that faith. He completes that faith. He adds to that faith where you have no faith. Do you understand what I'm saying? Can someone give God a praise? After a time, I stopped going to India because the church in India was doing very well. I saw the church grew from 2,000 to 48,000 to 4,008. Today, that church is running about 48,000 people. Pastor David Mohan's church in Chennai. And because of that, I stopped going to the church. I felt that they didn't, they didn't need me to be their church consultant. And so, by this time, my daughter was now about seven years old. I remember going to my in-law's place. And when I went to my in-law's place that day after church, my daughter was out at a park with her cousin and with my domestic helper. And she was playing on those monkeys bar. And she fell. And my domestic helper carried her back from the park to where my father-in-law's place was. Now I'm training first aid. I used to teach first aid in St. John's Ambulance Brigade. When I saw her arms, I knew it was broken. I immediately took my daughter from my domestic helper. I told my wife not to go, not, not to go with me to the hospital, just hanging, hang, hang back. And so I drove my daughter straight to the hospital. You have to understand, my life is a life of great spiritual warfare all the time. But you know, I realized one thing. There's always breakthrough at the end of the day. Now, the thing about my daughter and my wives, and my wife, not wives. <clears throat> Phew. Thank you, Jesus. They're afraid of needles. Me, I'm not. I mean, I jab myself all the time. I mean, not now. <laughs> it's all coming out. Confession is good for the soul. Your pastoral stuff is getting worried. <laughs> it's true. Last year, I was in Bogota and I was so sick. The doctor gave me syringes with medication and I had to jab myself. And they said, don't worry, we will get the doctor to come and jab you. In the middle of the night, there was a time for a jab. None of the doctors were available. So guess who jabbed? Me. <laughs> so I'm so used to needles, so never an issue. But my daughter is afraid of needles. So now, with a broken arm, I brought her into the hospital. The nurse tried to take her from me, but she's clinging onto me and screaming. She's crying. The doc says, we've got to operate. But first, we need to take an x-ray to verify. X-ray was done. I carried her into the consultation room. And doc says, we have to operate. I said, how are you going to do it? They say, you're going to put two steel pins to, to fuse the bones together and let time 
bring healing. I said, okay, let's do that. But the problem was my daughter was still clinging on to me. Do you know I had to go into the operating theater with my daughter? I wasn't able to be scrubbed. So that was against the, the hospital rules. But we didn't have a choice because she refused to leave me. As a dad, I have to hold her down, literally hold her down, while the doctors try to inject her, but she was fighting them. And so I have to help the doctor push those two steel pins into her bone. After that, she kind of knocked out. While she was knocked out, I walked out of the operating theater. I went to a bench by the side of the wall. I sat there. I called two of my pastoral staff. I said, listen, guys. I said, Wilson Brian, would you come to the hospital? This is the hospital I'm at. I need you guys urgently to be by my side. I sat there for those 30 minutes while my two pastoral staff came in the late evening to be with me. And I'm not the type that ball. I don't cry easily. Like when my grandma died and when my dad passed on, I only had one tear roll down my cheek. So it's very tough. It's very hard to make me cry. Probably Liverpool would make me cry. I cried when we won the Champions League. <laughs> but I tell you that day, sitting on the corridor of the hospital, I bawl. I cry so hard because I think of the numerous times this young child has been in and out of hospital. In the first year of her existence, I would spend the, the first year of a existent, I was always in India. So she was always in the hospital. And now, to see this happen to her. When Wilson and Brian came by and saw me bawling, I said to them, I'm going to walk out of the ministry. I've seen enough warfare and damages. I don't think I can put my family through one more. This is it. One of my pastoral staff sitting beside me put his arms around me and he says this, Pastor Dom, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. The only thing you can do is to keep your eyes on Jesus. I tell you that day, for a person who is so used to preaching evangelistic crusades, miracle crusades meeting, that night at the hospital, I had to lift my eyes off the situation and begin to put my eyes back on God. And when I began to train my eyes on God and to correct my vision and to fasten it on Jesus, something begins to happen. And God began to restore me. And friends, I do not know about your situation, but this one thing I know. 
if you're going through a great crisis, just after that crisis, if you push through, there will be a great breakthrough. You know something, from that day I broke through in a hospital, nothing has stopped me since then. Since that day, I have experienced tremendous result in my ministry because it seems like everything I touch in the ministry turns gold. The success of my ministry comes back to that point in the, in the corridor of the hospital when I have to lift my eyes off myself, lift my eyes off my situation, lift my eyes off everything and turn my eyes upon Jesus. That's the second key. I have five keys, so let me very quickly give them to you because I have five minutes to go. Key number three. As Jehoshaphat calls at fast and he was declaring who God is, and he began to declare that we do not know what to do but our eyes on you. That the thing here was that then a prophetic word came. A prophetic word came to Jehoshaphat. The Bible tells me early in the next morning, he began to stand by his word. And this is what King Jehoshaphat said in verse 20. Jehoshaphat says, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. That's right. Have faith in God and you will see success. Have faith in his prophet and you will be successful. Here the prophet to the prophetic word that was given to him. You know, the third key to a breakthrough is to hold fast to the word of God. It is so important to hold fast to the Word of God because God's Word, because God never lies and God's Word is yea and amen for you. God's Word is God's promises for your life. God's Word is God's not only promise but God's end result for your life. You see, it's not about what people say. It's not about what the doctors say. It's not about what the, your bank accounts say. It all has to do with what God says. Can someone say amen? Because at the end of the day, it is about the Word of God. It is important to hold fast to God's Word. How do you hold fast to God's Word? You hold fast to God's Word by praying through the Word. You hold fast to God's Word by declaring the Word. And most of all, you hold fast to God's Word by meditating on the Word. Friends, meditation is not sitting this way and um, that's not meditation. That will, that will get you into deep yoga. Meditation has to do with uttering the Word of God, uttering the promises of God, uttering the end result of what God says. And as you begin to utter, you are listening. And as you listen, something begins to happen. Very quickly, key number four is to worship in every circumstance. In verse, in verse 18, we read of how uh, Jehoshaphat began to get his people into the place of worship. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Verse 21, after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise Him for the splendor of His holiness. Friends, listen, there's something about worship. 
The Word of God gives you God's truth. But worship brings heaven into your life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Worship is the language of heaven. I want to say that again. Worship is the language of heaven. And God understands that language more than ever. I don't know about you, but for the immigrants that are here, you will understand this concept. When I went to pastor in Perth, and when I went to pastor in Vancouver, British Columbia, I can be walking in the mall, and when I hear this accent that I'm speaking right now, my ears orientate to the accent. Like a Brit who goes on a holiday and is walking in the mall of Singapore, and when he hears a fellow Brit speaks, your ears hearken to that sound. Do you understand? There is a language. There is a language that draws you. And that's why the Bible says God inhabits the praises of His people. And the reason why God inhabits is because God turns His ears to that praise. Because that praise, that worship is God's language. And when God hears it, He orientates Himself there. And friends, listen, when God is there, the miracles there. When God is there, refreshment begins. When God is there, healing takes place. And when God is there, demons are trashed out. Do you understand what I'm saying? So worship in every circumstance. And number five, as I closed, walk in simple obedience. You know, the story <laughs> of Jehoshaphat is that he sent the worship team out to war. <laughs> he didn't send his soldiers. He sent the worship team. That's so ridiculous, isn't it? But you've got to walk in simple obedience. God is not asking you to think, but God is asking you to go with your heart. I will end with this story. There was a woman, and she's well-known in Singapore. She's not well-known because of her name. She's well-known because of a bad accident. She went into a five-car wreck, wreckage. And it was so bad that they, the fire engine guys, the paramedics had to come. They had to cut the vehicle open to take her. And when they took her out from the wreckage, she was totally unconscious. So this made quite a, a big headlines about the traffic accident. People began to follow this story. When she was in a hospital, she was in the ICU for many weeks. Apparently, there was blood clot in her brain and, in, and then her legs, basically, she couldn't walk anymore. There was problems with her, with her whole spinal system. But gradually, through time, she's through therapy, and Pastor Esther will understand this. Through therapy, she, will, she was now able to get up but she's not able to walk properly because she has to walk with a walker and she has to walk gingerly. That was a Trinitarian that would be inviting her to church. A Trinitarian followed this story, went to, went to the home, meet her from the hospital all the way to the home, got to know her and every week, this Trinitarian would invite her to church. Every week, she would say no. But 
finally one day, out of desperation, because the Trinitarian told her, you come to church, that will be a miracle. That will be a breakthrough when you come to church. So she decided to test Jesus out. She came to church. And when she came to church, see, this, this story is related by this woman to me some weeks ago. She came to church and she said to me, during the worship time and as I came up to, like Pastor Esther came up to host the service or Pastor Martin came up to host the service, she said, the moment you came out, I decided to go to the washroom. So her servant helped her. Slowly with this walker, went into the toilet. Something happened in the toilet. You see, because in our church, our speakers goes all the way into the toilet so that in the toilet, you can also join us in worship. She said, as I listened to the worship, something happened. God began to touch her and she walked out of the toilet. She came in on a walker, but she walked out of the toilet. She walked into the service and she was stunned and her helper from Philippines looked at her like, wow, ma'am, something's... But after the service, when she leaves the church, she couldn't walk anymore. She has to use the walker. Week one. She decided to come back to church week two. Again, in a time of worship, she was... And the Lord says take away the walker, she was able to walk. But after church, she's back on her walker. She can't understand. She said, I don't understand. This went on for about five, six weeks. Finally, she told her husband, who is really a hostile pre-believer, who would persecute her for coming to church, saying that she's rubbished. But her helper then said to the husband, Sir, I have seen ma'am walk without a walker. So he came to church with her. And then she said to me, Pastor Dom, I came up to you that day. You may not remember. I walked up to you and asked for prayer. You prayed for me. She said, since then, I never used the walker. And that's why my husband is a Christian today. A few things. And so I, I interviewed her. I said, what have you been doing? And she says, I keep declaring God in my life. I keep declaring He is Jehovah, that He is Jehovah Rapha, my healer. She kept saying, I hold fast to the promises of God that are yea and amen because you said to me to trust God's word. That's what I did. She said to me, Pastor Dom, you taught us to walk in simple obedience. If God says it, just do it. So, I, so since God said it. You taught us that worship is the key because worship is God's, uh, it's a language that God orientates to. So she says, every time I worship, even in my pain, when I cannot walk, I begin to worship and then something happens and God says, start walking. I will leave the walker. And so friends, this is a core message that's happened for me. I've gone through this experience. I don't have time to tell you of my other experiences with Natalie on all of these matters. You see, my daughter, through her pains, have taught me 
Friends, I'm sharing with you something very personal tonight. I have had breakthroughs after breakthroughs just by obeying these five keys. And I believe this evening, if you could just work out the five keys, they're not, they're, just, they're not a formula. They are not a formula. But they are important keys because God has said it. It's recorded. We see in Jehoshaphat's life, as a result of them worshipping, walking out in simple obedience, the end story is that the Lord confused the three armies and they killed each other. All, all Judah needs, needed to do that day was to go out and pick up the loots. So simple, isn't it? So God has destined you for victory and success. God wants to give you the healing, the miracle, the supernatural that you need. But friends, it's the five keys that we need to think through and put into, li into life. Amen. So let's all stand. And I, will, and I will give this altar call this way. You need a miracle tonight. I'm going to ask you to come to this altar right now. As the worship team comes, we're going to sing this song. I raise a hallelujah. So if you need a miracle, you come. You need a miracle, you come. Pastor Esther and Pastor Martin was in our meetings, I think, a couple of months, two months ago. Yeah, April. April, they were there. Since then to today, we have tons and tons of documented miracles in our church. And I believe you are at a threshold of God's miracle and breakthrough. So you come right now. If you need that breakthrough, you need a miracle. Come right now. Come as close as you can. Tonight, we're not going to need the prayer team. I'm not going to come down and pray for you. Because I'm not going to come and, oh God, please. No, 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 no. Remember, it's about declaring who God is. So you need a miracle, you declare who God is. If you need that healing, begin to declare God is your physician. If you need direction, declare Him as the way, the truth, and the life. If you need provision, begin to declare He is Jehovah Jireh, your provider. So we're going to sing this song first. And then after that, we're going to go into a place of declaration. Because your declaration is your possession. Your declaration will become your possession. Amen. 